0: buyers are 68% down the path before they even talk to you. So in some essence, you need to understand that they may actually be diagnosing the symptom versus the actual root cause. I think that's a part of the whole discovery process is that when you can focus yourself on not having to think about your product and focus on the customer and really what the problem is, you have the ability to really get to know them at another level. And I kind of say, it's our job to get to know our customers as good, if not better, better than they do themselves.
1: Welcome to Pre-Sales Heroes, which is from Vivin, the world's first platform for pre-sales. Today, our topic is training a pre-sales team to be next generation storytellers. Our guest is Brian Cotter, VP of Global Sales Engineering at Seismic Software. And he has a great framework, a very alliterative framework for helping his team understand both why this is important and how to do it. Hi, I'm Greg Howard. I'm excited to talk to Brian Cotter today, VP of Global Sales Engineering at Seismic Software. We're talking about training the pre-sales team to be next-gen storytellers. Brian, let's start as we always do. Uh, tell me your, your hero origin story, how you got into pre-sales. As I remember correctly, you actually started in sales. Is that right?
0: So I, I came out of school you know, in a time that the economy wasn't so great. And there was a lot of sales opportunities, so I ended up working for... A company called dictaphone that sold portable uh, transcription and dictation equipment and during that time i was there they were evolving into more computer telephony and i found myself more interested in the technology more interested in how it worked why it worked and the value and the problems we were solving with technology through automation or, or just basic cti integration so you know very short kind of story of my career I ended up at BMC software doing a lot of back office mainframe um, call center uh, applications, which really taught me back then the seller was involved in driving the sales process. And it was really about us kind of saying why you needed us. And then I morphed over into Salesforce when cloud computing started happening and, and, you know, software as a service and and it being a platform. And from there, the buyer got more information. They were actually a little bit more in control of, of what they were doing to try to diagnose their own problems. And then, I thought, I'm like, this is great, subscriptions. And I jumped over to a company called Zora that basically created the subscription economy and the way, best way for companies to kind of track it from a monetization standpoint. Learned a lot about how relationships are directly related towards subscriptions as it relates to the number of interactions you have. But with that, it also comes with creating a bunch of data. And now we have this great data story. So I went to a company called Inside Sales that was trying to figure out the next best action, understand the data to figure out how to move the deal forward. And from there, it was a natural evolution where my, my, my whole pre-sales career has always been about storytelling. And how I ended up at Seismic was really about the next best action is great, but it's really about the next best story because every single customer and prospect facing employee is now a seller. And there's really ultimately only three outcomes in any conversation or interaction. Will the prospect or customer spend less money, run flat, or spend more money? So it's really critically important that we understand the problems we're trying to solve, the impact that we can have, and the value that a company can realize as we talk about every single conversation or story to highlight the the benefit of doing business with our company. So that's a little bit of the the lineage over a longer career, but really the one constant thing has been the power of storytelling, the power of connecting to your audience, and the power of driving value based upon your understanding of what the need is.
1: And then maybe just to talk about what you just touched on, Brian, your insight or your epiphany that you arrived at, that pre sale should be as focused on storytelling as anything else. What is it about the, the shift in today's environment that leads you to be so passionate about that topic.
0: You know, going back to like the BMC, when, when it was all on-prem, a lot of it was features and functions and can you do this or can you do that? And there's a lot of bits and bytes in, in the technology. And I think that they were designed to solve specific problems. And then kind of my time at, at Salesforce, Mark Benioff was really brilliant at saying, this is our North Star. This is who we are. You know, we're cloud computing, no software, multi-tenancy. You know, this is going to be a platform that can actually help operate your front office applications and all of your workflows. And it really drove in through the training there that it really became about something that we needed to get to know our customers as good, if not better than they did. Meaning that we had to spend a lot of the time going through understanding the problems, understanding the the audience, understanding the objective as as far as what they were doing, like almost like the problems, the plans that they have, the pressures that they're kind of looking at, and also the prioritization and how can they actually take all that information and put it into something that customers will connect with emotionally as well as professionally and, and looking to address their problems. But, you know, so Kind of from there, my training that I kind of was thinking about or the way that I I looked at this is I kind of broke it down into three different areas. And one is how do I actually do the right discovery? And I've always been a big believer of being unconsciously competent. I have an unusual high sense of fear of looking unprepared in front of an audience. So I like to know the messaging. I like to know the product. I like to know the the, the technology and really be able to kind of just go into a discovery session where I'm asking questions to try to get down to the root cause versus asking questions that lead me back to a feature or function. So really being able to be so comfortable with my offering, my company, my technology, that I can focus in on what the real problems are of that particular company. And, And that kind of gives us the ability to make sure that we're aiming in the right direction, that we are aligned with them, that we are solving a problem, and you know, through some of the medical history that I've had, I've really bought into how the medical community takes a customer or a patient that's you know having some pain. They do a medical background history conversation, then they do a physical exam, then might, they might do some blood work, then they might put them into a machine to get a little bit deeper te- uh, evaluation. And then they're able to actually come back with a prognosis and basically say, this is what we're going to do to fix you. And with that being said, I kind of applied to the same thing, especially with this day and age, buyers are 68% down the path before they even talk to you. So in some essence, you need to understand that they may actually be diagnosing the symptom versus the actual root cause. I think that's a part of the whole discovery process is that when you can focus yourself on not having to think about your product and focus on the customer and really what the problem is and what you're going to solve, you have the ability to really get to know them at another level. And I kind of say it's our job to get to know our customers as good, if not better, that better than they do themselves, meaning. We're the experts in our field. We know what we're solving for. We sometimes have to help that buyer to actually see it without us actually telling them. And so that's kind of the first part from a discovery standpoint. The
1: customer sometimes comes in with a symptom and don't even know the problem they're trying to solve. And if your team isn't thinking like storytellers, like trying to find the big pain the prospect's trying to solve, they'll focus on the bits and bytes and they won't even get to the, the diagnosis and they won't be able to, to, to help the customer. It seems like a very powerful justification for your thesis.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing is too, you know, when you're looking at a kind of a, a very precise problem they're trying to solve, um, it could be a symptom, you know, you might come back with a feature of, function and it's really binary it's either going to do it or it's not going to do it so one they might have problems kind of seeing the value of it but two if you implement it if it doesn't 100% address it it may not be a successful implementation where if you're really understanding the true problem it gives you a little bit more latitude or flexibility to come back with a solution that's going to really help them high level to help them solve their real problems it'll address a lot of their symptoms if not you know completely but it also allows you to kind of work with the customer post-sales to make sure you're still targeting the right strategic initiatives for the problems that they're trying to solve for. So you can highlight the biggest impact that your platform or product will have, as well as the value that they can realize over time.
1: So I know you have a really cool phase two, where you kind of uh, train your team on how to actually do what you just said. But I'm actually really curious, just before we Get there. Do you find it difficult for your team to think in the way you're talking about, like almost a physician diagnosing a problem and thinking about storytelling and the the big problem versus bits and bytes and features? Is that a difficult thing to instill in, in their DNA?
0: It's definitely a transition. Some, you know, if you take a look at, you know, the way that we've morphed from client server to cloud-based, you know, there's a lot more applications out there that are that are point product that are very easy to kind of come in. And there's freemium versions, trial versions. It's, you know, some of the things are solving basic problems. So I think there's an evolution that whether you're talking about a feature or a function or whether you're talking about a transformative strategic initiative The same thinking goes into it. And that's kind of the second part, and why I feel it's you got to distill it down to be something very straightforward. But yes, it is a little bit of a uh, a transition for people thinking that, you know, where if they were looking at solving a point product problem, they'll go directly uh, potentially to a feature or function. And that is something that we have to say, well, is that just one piece of a bigger part of a problem? And kind of layer in the question. So it's a little bit of, you know, educating on discovery, due diligence, but it's also, what is the story that you're really trying to tell? And that's kind of leading into the second part, which is really preparing for your presentation. And I break it down to be three areas. One is framework, one is flow, and one is flash. And whether you're showing a feature or a function, or whether you're showing a whole end-to-end workflow across the whole organization with multiple personas, it really doesn't matter. The framework is like when you're in high school. It's a thesis that you're gonna write. You have something that you've identified, you need to prove it, you have your proof points, and then you need to wrap it up and make it very succinct as far as what you're going to be solving for. So the, the framework is all about the outline. Do you have a map or a skeleton that says, this is the story that I need to tell? And keep in mind, it could be just for a few capabilities or it could be for an hour and a half, four hour type of demonstration. The second part is flow. And this is more of the narrative to a particular audience to make it consumable, digestible. It's something that they can internalize and say, they listen to me. I get what they're saying. And I think that I know that's going to help me. And they're not kind of stuck in a bit or a bite. There's definitely requirements that we have to hit, no question about it. But I think that the flow part is really making sure that the audience can follow you and they can see the problems you solve, the impact that you can have, and the value that they can realize, whether it's professionally speaking, addressing this particular initiative, or personally speaking, I'm going to use this to actually promote my career, which is a great part of the way that you need to connect with your audience. The last part is flash, which is really, how are you going to make it memorable? People can present you know many different ways but at the end of the day there's only going to be two or three or four things that people are going to walk away with and i think you need to have the end in mind what do you need to have them walk away with because in today's world the seller isn't necessarily always guiding the journey the seller sellers now need to actually figure out how to way to work how to work with the buyer's journey and actually navigate through their thinking but guide them along of where you want to take them if you do the due diligence, the discovery up front the right way. And if you have the all that information where you can kind of create the framework flow and flash, it really sets up for a powerful presentation when you deliver it. And when I kind of when you get to this point, I have a firm belief that you have to deliver with confidence and conviction. Confidence is you know your stuff because you've done the due diligence, you've done the work, you've done your studying, you've done your prep for the meeting and conviction, meaning you believe that what you're doing will actually help that customer. And we, like most SEs, pre-sales people, they're experts in their their, their application. Most of them are experts in their industry or compliance or regulations in a particular industry. They're the experts. And that, when you actually have done the prep work and you can deliver it in a way that delivery becomes infectious, like people are like, oh, yeah, they, they believe you because you're passionate about what you're talking about. And that becomes believable or more connecting with your audience. The other part, too, is in that last phase, it creates a little bit of, you know, what you call a little superpower, or a little, you know, special edge is situational fluency, meaning you can kind of navigate with the buyer as they kind of pull you around, but you always know where you need to end up. It's almost what I call like the the, the yo-yo analogy, where I can spin off, have a little dialogue, and come right back to where I need to be. And I can do that five or 10 times, but I'm still navigating that path because I have the framework flow and flash that can guide me. But that framework flow and flash is aligned to discovery to understand the buyer's problem and also the buyer's journey that they are going on. Those three things, as far as the way we kind of train things, you know, we definitely try to train as much as we can around learning the messaging, the technology, the product. We also try to highlight as much as we can with the, the go-to-market teams as far as how we're going to arm our guys with use cases, personas, competitive threats, what we built, why we built, how we built it. So our guys are prepared to do the best discovery. Then we actually go through and we say, what's your outline? What's your narrative and what's going to be the takeaways that you need to have with your buyers? And then when you get to the actual uh, presentation, you need to own the room and you basically feel very comfortable that you can navigate anywhere. It's not perfect, but there is, you know, in my career, there's been a lot of I've had a lot of success with kind of leveraging these things to a point that some of my you know customers and large, large organizations would say, The skill that you have is you can take massive amounts of information and distill it down to a soundbite that we can walk around our own building and sell on your behalf. And that's the power of a story. You're leaving an imprint that someone can walk away with and say, those are the people that I want to work with. And that's a product that I know that'll solve my problems.
1: It seems like what a lot of your secret sauce is training your team to know the endpoint they're trying to get to because they've done the right story and because they know, even if the buyer doesn't, where they need to get to because that way they can use the framework, the the flow and the flash that's directed to what that buyer needs. That's very different from just saying, hey, here's a bunch of features we think you're going to like. And by the way, I've demonstrated the same features to every single other first meeting I've had today. But it's not going to have any relevance for you.
0: And uh, I get a lot of grief from my, or not grief. I get a little bit of a hard time for my teams because I have certain alliterations, you know, you know problems, <laughs> pressure, problems, pressures, priorities and plans. That's all about discovery, you know, framework flow and flash. It's all about prep and, and confidence and conviction. These are things that in the back of my mind, I can't deliver and present if I haven't done the three F's. I can't do the three F's if I actually haven't done, you know, the P's. And, and constantly, it's just like repeating the same words over and over again. And there are some people, you know, in their careers, they've been through this and they get it. And there's some people that they're kind of evolving their careers and, and you need to guide them. And at the end of the day, when I started at BMC, You know, I didn't necessarily have this mindset. I knew I could talk. I knew I felt comfortable in front of an audience, but I didn't necessarily know how I had to connect to a CEO or CFO that was twice my age. These are things I've learned over time. And once again, I've kind of realized if I say the same thing over and over again, and we basically, you know, we do, we have a storytelling framework uh, that we use to kind of help guide in the preparation of their story. We have storytelling lab sessions that we go through where we get the wisdom of the crowds that we can actually help from ideation to complete in-character dry runs, saying we're here to help, no judgment, let's figure out how to tell the best story. And then we're trying to incorporate dry runs as a standard DNA into every single deal cycle so we can actually see what our buyers will go through. And it's repetition, it's saying the same thing over again, but it's also practicing what we preach. Because as we evolve this, I'm a firm believer people buy from people people they trust, they know, they like, they connect with. But more importantly, did they listen and did they actually articulate something that was going to change my life or my career, my income?
1: We were going to talk about some of the platforms you use to enable it. And I know that Seismic is actually one of the platforms. Uh, I should probably take this moment to point out that Seismic is a unicorn startup. I think you reached that valuation a couple of years ago. And maybe just talk a little bit about how you use Seismic to enable the sales team and and why it's so important at this stage in your company's life cycle that you're using something like that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I was fortunate to be at Salesforce. I was there from a couple hundred million to three and a half billion. Um, but we actually went through massive amounts of change. I mean, Salesforce bought 20-something companies between 2006 and 2011. And then at Zora, I was there when they crossed over 100 million. Inside sales, I was there when they crossed over 100 million. And now with Seismic, I got here right around 90 to 100 million. So what happens that I've seen in my past is that companies start kind of, You know, breaking some rules, they start breaking some processes, they start breaking things that used to work when they were younger, but now they're getting bigger. And and some of these things is, you know, who you are and and what do you mean to the industry? Because you cross over $100 million, you're a unicorn. You most likely are leading in a category, sales enablement. You are also interested in, your competitors now because people are now gunning for you. Things change, your process change. And in that aspect, some companies have to reimagine themselves. And I think the critical thing is, you know, a North Star. And as far as who you are, what's your vision, what's your mission, what's your value prop, and really being able to have that as a leader. And as you kind of kind of take a look at that North Star, what is the value prop? What is the narrative? What is the story? Who are the personas that you help? What does the platform look like? And what are the building blocks that you actually need to enable your team to say, I'm going to use this part of the the, the platform because it addresses these personas and these use cases. And this is how I'm going to tell the story against this particular competitor. Those elements, and the reason why Seismic is so powerful is it gives us the ability to have that structure from an SE perspective. I can go to one location and I can look everything from, Michael Longer, and the CMO, and what his first call deck or pitch is that we all use, all the way down to, I need to actually have a deep dive conversation around you know a part of our application. And I can go in, and I can get all the information, but then I can click on another location and basically see all of what we call the global SE services. This team manages all the toys and tools and resources that the SEs use in the field to tell the seismic story but every every month and every quarter, things change. Our story changes. we evolve. So if you know, if one particular area of the platform gets updated, I don't need to rearchitect the whole story. I just need to update that chapter of the book or that particular page or that particular word of that feature or function. Then I add that to my arsenal and I think the power of you know enablement power enablement platforms in general, but specifically with seismic, is the ability for them to do it at scale. so helping companies connect their demand generation to their deals that they work, to their brand, to their revenue by creating an army of unique, relevant, personalized storytellers at scale in a time where we are expecting an Amazon-like experience, Spotify or Netflix-like experience in every single interaction, meaning it's unique, relevant, personal to me, but also in a time that we're seeing the older generations Leave the workforce more quickly than the younger generations, meaning there's five to 17 years worth of tribal knowledge, AKA storytelling, floating out the door every day. So you need something in place to create, here's the North star and have that proliferate down so we can actually tell a vision and paint a picture of the art of the possible. But then we can actually go down and prove it. And I always believe in a defensible position. If you're going to tell me you can do something, show me the high level, and then you can drill down and actually show them how you bake the cake. And that's critically important as complex applications go. There's a lot more to the story than just, oh, yeah, we can help you make more money. Well, how are you going to do it? Then we get to answer the how question, the why question, and the so what and who cares. And that structure, as far as the power of what Seismic does for us, allows us to keep us on point and be able to tell the most relevant, unique personalized seismic story at every single customer prospect interaction.
1: Keeping that story cohesive when you reach that 100 million ARR milestone is so difficult. So it makes sense to me that you're using your own platform to kind of keep everything together. Everybody on on this podcast is not a Vivin customer. In fact, most of them aren't. You happen to be one. And so I did also want to talk about, just because we had you here, uh, how Vivin plays into that, because I know you're using Vivin kind of as a compliment to Seismic to help you as a pre-sales leader run your team. Where does Vivin play into your uh, leadership motion and solve problems for you?
0: Going back to what I kind of started talking about, storytelling has always been the root. But at the end of the day, if you look at a story in a movie, a story in sports or a story in a book, there's always something that throws you off that you actually have to adjust and pivot. And one of the things that we use Vivin for, and I broke it down to three areas. Once again, another alliteration is risk, roadmap and resource. So the way that I want to make sure that my teams are telling the best story or my company is telling the best story or we understand how the best story is architected as far as what we need to do to get a deal closed is when I look at risk, Vivin gives us the ability to actually look at a specific opportunity and be able to go in and do our discovery. And during that discovery, it's like, oh boy, we don't have that thing to solve that thing over there. We have a product gap. Okay, cool. Let's log it. Let's associate it to a part of the platform and let's identify. Is it a nice to have? OK, cool. Is it a major obstacle? Uh Oh, we got to fix this. Or is it a deal breaker? Oh, crap. We literally can't close this deal without this. So what that does at just at the opportunity level is it gives us the ability to pivot the story. Do I have to go up, over, or around? If it's a deal breaker, do I pull in product? Do we have things that are on the roadmap? Can I actually show something that's a prototype or in pilot mode? Can I bring in a product manager? As an AE and an SE team, I have resources, but I need to understand where those roadblocks or speed bumps that have caused me to pivot my my story, my deal strategy. It also allows us, kind of talking about coaching, is if I see a million-dollar deal that has zero gaps and it's closing next week I, or next month, I might come back with be like, um, I've never closed a million-dollar deal that didn't have any hair on it. <laughs> we need to understand, did you do good enough discovery? Are we going to get blindsided? Do we actually know where we're aiming? Or if I see a $200,000 deal with seven gaps, okay, does the SE actually know the product? Are these real? <laughs> so there's coaching in, in deal to mitigate risk. There's mitigate risk as far as how we go up, over, and around. And there's mitigating risk by saying, we need to tell a different story because we need to actually identify this. There's not one application I've ever met that solves 100% of every single customer's problems. But if you get close and you understand the real problem you're trying to solve for, you can actually create that relationship that's going to be long term because you understand the risk based upon the problem you're trying to solve for and you can navigate it together with the buyer. The second part is roadmap. When you take all that information and add it together, it gives you some wonderful insights, and those insights will help you change your company's story. And what I, what, I mean, what I mean by that is we have the ability to kind of look at the data and say white space. Well, it really doesn't impact deals, but our VP of business development says as you're looking to partner with different companies or as you're looking to you know, grow our company through acquisition or as you're looking to get different types of applications built in the product, we now have the ability to possibly see white space as far as where we should be going based upon what the buyers are telling us. The second part of this is if we have to have a conversation with product, it's no longer the 11th hour that we actually come and say, hey, listen, Dave, you got to build this for me and I can close that million dollar deal. Okay, really? And then that's an anecdotal story on PowerPoint and it really doesn't help because there's no data supporting. So we can actually go in with data saying, product team, we have 17 deals worth 5.2%. 5.2 5.2 million pointing at this particular product gap. Oh, by the way, 75% of those are deal breakers closing in the next three quarters. We now have data to make product decisions. We now have data to give our product marketing team something to look at. We have data to basically give our CMO, wow, that's pretty enlightening. Do we need to kind of pivot a portion of our messaging to address this? And how do we build a product to do that? And that's really important because it gets everybody on the same page. And it's no longer, we have to build this, we're not seeing the world, we, we, we don't understand the addressable market. It's more important for us to actually get feedback from the field. And a couple of different things happen from a pre-sales standpoint. A pre-sales team goes from being able to give a really good product presentation, aka demo, to actually delivering strategic insights to the company that's going to give them input to make decisions that'll change our direction. Really, really powerful right there. And then that, that gives us you know, a lot of great conversations to figure out which way we need to go. But more importantly, going back to what I said earlier, our job is to tell the best story because at the end of the day, a pre-sales role is to help the sellers sell more stuff more quickly to closure with the least amount of friction, meaning we need to sell clean deals fast. And fast is the key element there. With the, with the information we collect from Vivin, it allows us to create urgency and shorten timeframes, average order cycle time. We can reduce because instead of the 11th hour, oh my God, we have to build this. We're like, oh, it's in stage two. How are we gonna address this? It allows us to, as I say, slow down the front side so we can speed up the close side. Let us know where we need to aim and where there is risk. And that kind of brings us to the third one, resource. I view a selling motion as the anatomy of a deal. It's most likely a linear progression. It might be multi-threaded, but it's usually a duration of time that is anywhere between a month to 12 months, depending on the, the segment you work with. It's a pretty hard, challenging, but simple, straightforward process. When you go from there to a customer, it becomes a relationship. The anatomy relationship is what I refer to as an asynchronous cloud. A million different entry points, a million different variables, and a million different exit points. Meaning. It's more challenging. It's more complex. There's more things that can go wrong. So when I talk about resource, I need to understand in the anatomy of a deal, getting someone on board to be a customer, what are the 8 to 10, 12 things I need to do? Which of them are mandatory? Which ones have to actually fall in a certain order? Because if I can actually help that, then I can actually go and deliver better insights and better guidance to sales leadership to say these are things we need to do and we know we we need to do them in this order in order to get the best outcome we're looking for. And then also post-sales, there's a lot more people involved. The ability to understand what are the activities that we have to do every month, every quarter, every year? What are the deliverables that we actually have to give to the customer in a timely fashion? And is there any way that we can help automate that with something like Seismic? that could actually help us automate a quarterly business review. So really kind of boiling it down to what Seismic and, and Vivin, the two tools that I use, obviously Salesforce is in the mix too. But at the, at the end of the day, Seismic gives me that framework, that storytelling platform to make sure that I'm always telling the right story aligned to the North Star. And where Vivin, Vivin gives me the ability to understand at a data level how I actually have to pivot that story for a deal, for a product roadmap, or even the way that that deal is going to be executed.
1: The, the thing I appreciate that you covered in particular with Vivint is how you're able to capture intelligence that you feed back to the product team to potentially help them build features and products and impact the greatest number of opportunities and revenue. Because I think a lot of pre-sales teams wish they had that influence. And as you said, the data to prove that what they're saying is accurate. And you've made a pretty per- persuasive case for that. And then obviously, Seismic is the umbrella that holds the storytelling together. Super cool stuff. You kind of had the insight, just to finish up here, Brian, you had the insight and, and the epiphany to understand that pre-sales need to be focused more on storytelling than simply a kind of a standard meat and potatoes demo flow. If you were to look at the way things are going now, any any predictions or insights on what pre-sales looks like in the future?
0: I've always felt that pre-sales people, SEs, were overworked and underpaid. Um, <laughs> and even though they're critical in every selling cycle and every AE will tell you that. They'll never give up their commission check. So what I believe and what I feel, what I've tried to do my whole career is become more a strategic partner, not only to the AEs, but to the sales org. But also I think the next generation is being more strategic to the company. And when I talk about that, it's going back to what I kind of talked about, creating an army of people that are unconsciously competent about anything around messaging or product or value or technology and being able to ask the right questions to strategically solve problems to give us bigger deals the ability to actually have the level of comfort to go and deliver a story that is more about the problems that you're going to solve and the impact that you're going to have and the value that they can realize versus a lot of people's perception is oh just show them how it works we're good so changing the mindset of you know a tutorial versus a story that addresses a problem that they're looking to solve for. So you know, a lot of these things kind of go into the SEs collect a ton of information. And it's in my opinion that, one, the SEs will become more strategic members, not only in sales, but across the organization. And the ability for them to actually impact product roadmaps is huge. The ability for them to impact deal velocity and average order size is huge. And the ability for them to actually collect information. And I've always believed this. SEs could tell you, for the most part, when an AE is going to get fired or quit or when a deal is going to come in or not don't get me wrong, I've been surprised at deals I thought we were going to win, we lost, and deals that I thought we were going to lose, we won. There is a human element of this that we're not 100% correct. But I do believe that the insights of the pre-sales teams and what we can collect can also impact forecast accuracy and the ability for actually us to predict what deals are real further out and focus on those deals. Because the information we're collecting is not necessarily just the anatomy of a deal. It's actually Part of the moving DNA that 's within that deal that we get to uncover to figure out how to actually solve that problem, whatever the pain that that customer is in, so I guess as far as just moving forward is just moving higher up the strategic impact on a company and not necessarily just be about we 're telling a great story and giving a good demo in a sales cycle and that 's really what i 've tried to do my whole career, and it 's worked out so far so good, but I think that you know and Greg, you and I have talked about this before is. There's, and this might be a couple of years old, but there's 851 companies that are in the sales acceleration space. And a lot of those companies have come about in the last five or seven years, if not shorter. And some of them are point product solutions that are very powerful, very good, but they're also things that are typically pretty straightforward as far as being able to solve problems for. And I think when companies go out and evaluate, they see this ocean of different possibilities to solve their problem. And it also creates, I'm gonna just go for that because I think I need to fix that problem. So there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace. And I think that SEs in any company, from a small company to a large company, if they really take a look at uh, what they're being asked to do, it's about to play a strategic role to help close a deal, drive roadmap, and also impact the sales cycle. And by looking at that feature, I'm sorry, that framework flow and flash approach, whether you're talking about one feature, or whether you're talking about a whole transformative uh, initiative, I think what you're going to see is SEs are going to be relied upon for companies that that grow and uh, aggressively grow is that they're looking at using the pre-sales team in a different way than they did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago.
1: Preaching to the choir, great insights. Could not agree with you more about the ability and potential of pre-sales to move up the value chain. We at Vivint think it's already happening, and obviously people like you are making it happen at your own company. Thanks thanks for sharing your thoughts on pre-sales heroes.
0: Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. Um, hopefully you guys are getting cleaner, fresher air in the Bay Area, and um, look, look forward to catching <laughs> the, up with you again. The, 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 the
1: smoke is lifted. It's, it's as beautiful here as it sounds like it is in Boston, Brian, and Acton. We'll talk soon.
0: All right. Thanks, Greg.